Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Let's start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, I do thank you and praise you for all the ways that you take care of us, that you bless us and watch over us. And Lord, I ask that you would truly bless this program, those who are listening, that they would have a sense of the ways that you are knocking on the door of our lives, of their lives, looking to come in, looking to be the bringer of miracles. Lord, give us signs of encouragement. Give us signs of the ways that you are accompanying us, walking with us, even through trials and tribulations that you've not left us orphans. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of family. Help us to be able to appreciate the design, the way that you have designed our lives to include the families that we're a part of. Lord, help us never to lose hope for redemption, hope for uh, future advances of restoration, of going deeper together. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today in Sound Insight, I'm building off of a series that I did three programs last week, and I uh, did a program on Tuesday as well, um, just around getting the foundations right. right? Like, if we're going to live our lives of faith as Catholic Christians, we're called to go deeper than just, just, this, this is a big just, just believing what the church teaches with our minds, striving to follow what the church asks of us in our moral lives, and following the guidance of the church regarding the rituals and practices uh, that we are to, by which we relate to God um, in our um, religious observance. And you need to say, really, Tom, just, just? <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if there were more Catholics who did those things? Um, but I do mean just, because at the heart of discipleship isn't what Jesus criticized, which was a Phariseeism. And Phariseeism had to do with external conformity and observance of beliefs, um, behaviors, and religious observances, right? Jesus talked about whitewashed tombs that looked beautiful on the inside, but were filled with dead bones. I'm sorry, on the outside, but filled with dead bones on the inside. Um, Jesus, um, in the end, wants to have a relationship with us. And, and when we have that relationship with him, as you know, our desire will be to conform our lives as far as possible with the beliefs that we believe that we embrace. Because the more we know about God in truth, the more deeply we can love God in reality, because we'll be loving him according to who he is. So knowing the truth about God as it was revealed by the church is so important, but it's about the relationship. And living a moral life is something that, yes, is so very important, but it should flow from the relationship. And so following the commandments and living out a path of the Beatitudes in our lives is about living in relationship with fidelity. And so that's why the, the commandments, if you take a look at what the catechism teaches about the commandments, that breaking a commandment is at its deepest center. It's about breaking a relationship. It's about breaking a heart, if you will, 
to use a colloquialism. Um, we are showing ourselves to be unfaithful to the Lord who's faithful to us. Well, yeah, and guess what? We also did fail to, to follow God's law. Yes, it's that too, breaking God's law. But you can see how it's at the relationship that's at the heart. And, and then again, things like going to mass and, and embracing the religious practices of our life of faith, if we're only doing them out of a duty, then we'll find that they, in the words of um, the then Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope, Pope Benedict, they'll just be heavy burdens that weigh on our shoulders if we're missing the essential center of the relationship with Jesus, that essential center where God takes the initiative and knocks on the door of our lives and is coming close to us and longs to pour forth love and life, longs to foster an ever deeper communion with us in our lives. And so that's it. As you know, as you know, this, this is what we want for our own lives, right? We want a rich, profound, intimate, personal life-giving relationship with God. That's what we were made for. We were made for this communion with God. And it's like, this is something that I, I will never tire talking about because I never fail. I should say, it just is so common to encounter Catholics who somehow have made it through big chunks of their Catholic life, but have somehow missed the more intimate personal center that God is a living God. And this living God loves to love you, to pour forth his life into you, and then to pour forth his life through you. And so that's what I'm picking up on today. I, I talked on Tuesday's program about being a recipient of miracles. And I focused in on going deeper into prayer, going deeper into prayer, of being a recipient of miracles through contemplative prayer, through being still. You see, when, when we're still in contemplative prayer, we're giving the Lord the biggest space. We're, we're making the biggest room for him to, uh, to cleanse, to expand, to extend, to heal, to do his great work. And that's what happens when we make room for him in contemplative prayer. So we become the recipient of miracles. And, and it's something that I want to encourage you to do today um, as, as I'm going to be telling stories about family and telling stories about just some recent happenings. These are little signs of God's personal care in the details, in the little things, just the little signs of, of God, yes, is at work, doing a beautiful work, doing a mighty work to set us free. And he longs to set you free. If you missed it, just let me say it one more time to you before I move forward. The Lord desires to move close to you and unbind you and set you free from those parts of your life that hold you back, that slow you down, that make your belief in him weak or fragile, that make us, um, make us overly worried, overly worried, overly um, concerned, afraid, anxious, overwhelmed, right? All of those things. But you were made for miracles, to be a recipient of miracles. And I want to say this, even in the details. Let me give you an example. Very, this is a personal story. Um, and it goes back to something that 
shouldn't terrify me, but does terrify me. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's kind of, it's embarrassing to say it out loud um, for people who have experience with this thing, but it's uh, the fear of flying. And uh, if you've been around uh, Sound Insight for years, you've probably heard me tell the story. I was on a plane that hit a, a wind shear and started to fall out of the sky. And since then, I have a, um, it's an unconscious, I don't choose this, but when, when the plane hits turbulence, I fall back into that psychological state of being um, in that falling, like free falling, the plane diving, bouncing around experience I had back in 1994 or 93. So yeah, so for the past 28 years, I've had this like uncontrolled experience of being terrified as a result of, of flying. And anyways, I was, um, I was making a trip to Boston with my two boys to see my dad. Um, we weren't able to go there this summer. So we went uh, and flew out and I had two plane rides. And the, the first plane ride was you know, mostly peaceful. I prayed a lot of rosaries. And, um, and in those rosaries, when I'm praying, um, you know, I, when, when I begin to hit turbulence, I, I try to use reason and logic to recognize that it's safe and it's not dangerous. But there, there's a dimension that, that is within me that just bubbles back up. It's, it's what? It's the, it's, this is too strong of a word, but it is like the, the, the trauma, the, the, the traumatic impact um, on me through the memory that, that surges and the feelings that go with it. And it puts me into a condition of um, anxiety and fear uh, where I'm out of control. So I turned to prayer. And what was so interesting was, and this was especially true in the second flight, because in the second flight, we had to fly through some bad weather. And um, I, I allowed the message that I had spoken on the program on Tuesday come back to me, which was telling me the recipient of miracles, the God who created you as a gift from the Father to the Son, the God who performed miracles to lead, provide, and protect his people by providing miracles and signs and wonders and deeds of power, that this God is at work for me right now. This God is at work uh, and longs to provide miracles for me. The, the, the same God who I got to witness miracles at mass that morning was you know, turning bread and, uh, and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. It was this God that was with me on the flight. And it was really powerful um, as I was praying the rosary and, and just, just making acts of, of faith, just trusting in the Lord. And, um, I took that theme, I took that theme of being a uh, recipient of miracles. I took that theme and I applied it to myself. I said, Lord, I long to have you make me a recipient of a miracle to heal me of this, this anxiety, of this fear that I don't want to have uh, in my brain. I know it's safe, but it, it was at that emotional level that, that 
I didn't have that sense of control. And um, I had this beautiful sense of an encounter with the Blessed Mother. I had this beautiful sense of, of the Blessed Mother of Mary letting me know that she was with me and that I was covered. And in the midst of probably the worst turbulence that we were experiencing, I just felt this incredible consolation. I felt this really beautiful peace. I felt as if the Lord was healing me right in the midst of the storm, right in the midst of the turbulence. He was healing me in a way that allowed me to be at peace. And it happened. I mean, I continued to pray, but without the, without that sense of like, okay, if I say the right words, I'm going to control the outcome. If I only will say the right things to Jesus, somehow I can convince him to take an action to miraculously like stop this bad turbulence. But instead, it was the Lord saying, look, I am not miraculously intervening in this instance to stop the turbulence, but I am moving in a healing manner in your regard to stop your terror. I will bring healing to you by meeting you right in the midst of this storm. I will be with you in the midst of this storm so that you will not be afraid, so that you are not afraid. And it was really, it was really beautiful. It was through, I, I sensed it. This is how I encountered it. It was like through this tangible sense of the Blessed Mother. Like, like somehow God was letting me know that the Blessed Mother knew me. She was smiling down on me. That Mary herself knew who I was and that she was like loving me and bringing me to Jesus. It's like I was praying, you know, when you, when you pray the mysteries of the rosary, like these mysteries, you can actually pray in a way that you become involved in them, right? You can become involved in them. And, and for me, they're really apparent in the um, joyful mysteries because like, and especially for instance, in the visitation and the presentation In the visitation, you have Joseph, and Mary coming to Elizabeth and Zechariah, but Joseph and Mary aren't coming by themselves. There's Jesus. So Jesus is coming and he's made present to Elizabeth and Zechariah precisely because of the intercession, the intermediaries, <laughs> the mediating presence of especially the Blessed Mother, but also Joseph. And so I'm like, there was a visitation. And it was like Jesus was saying, I'm coming to you through my mother. She's mediating for you this beautiful healing that I have in store for you. Or secondly, like the presentation, the fourth joyful mystery, where Jesus is presented in the temple to the Father by Joseph and Mary. And, and so what, what, what do we do there? Well, there's a presenting that goes on. So there's a presenting of me and my situation to the Father by Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. And these are more than just like, I want to say they're more than just sort of cute spiritual ideas or um, poetic 
analogies for um, or like spiritual um, ideas. No, no, no. These are these are things that um, ought to be known by us as how God works and how the Lord of heaven and earth has such a personal care for us in the details, right? I, one of the things I would actually say to God, I don't mind telling you, uh, one of the things I would actually say to God um, in the midst of these like moments of, of just being terrified is I, I am sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Um, what was I sorry for? I'm like, I'm so sorry because objectively speaking, this is not a dangerous situation. Objectively speaking, like I'm safer here in the middle of this turbulence than I am in the car ride on the way to the airport. <laughs> and, um, and so objectively speaking, that's just true. Um, at the same time, uh, and, and so I'm like, God, you know, you have so many bigger fish to fry. Lord, you have so many people like, when I was praying and asking the Lord to move and, and that I longed to be a recipient of miracles in those moments while I was on the plane and it was bouncing around um, and during the ride, um, I'm like, there are Americans in Afghanistan, like terrified because they can't get out. And there are people who live in fragile, broken, difficult circumstances around the world every day. They were born into these situations, they're growing up in these situations that are unsafe, dangerous, marked by corruption, marked by like so many limited opportunities and, and oppression. And, and, and what am I crying out to God for and asking for special favor and attention for? Something that is actually not even bad, you know, but woe is me, I've got this fear of flying now. And so, Lord, I need, I'm desperately crying out to you for help. And so it's like, I, I would apologize to God. I just say, Lord, I'm so sorry that this is the condition that I, I live with and that I'm coming to you and, and crying out for such special attention. <laughs> and so two things have come of that. The first is the Lord just is like, look, first of all, it's not like God is small that if he's attending to me, like it's like an urgent care thing where I, I made a lot of noise. So I, I got a room early and these other people were left waiting outside. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think our idea of God can be so, so small sometimes that it's like, well, Lord, if you're attending to me, then you can't be attending to somebody else because there's only so much of you to go around. Right. So there's just a real like, ah, it's a mistaken idea of just of, of God's nature. God is infinite. Remember how big God is? God's almighty and God's glorious and he is ineffable, right? He's so big. He stuns us into silence. So God, God is big. And, and then the second thing was this, this God who's so big, he's like, Tom, I, I know you. I know you intimately. I know every hair on your head. I know what you need, and, and I love to take care of you. I love to come to you in the details. So please, please surrender the, like, 
request for forgiveness because you're asking me to help you when you authentically are in that like psychological state, that emotional state that is so triggered, you know, stop. Look, I love you. I know you. And I want to come close to you in those details. And in fact, it's the willingness to let the Lord come close in those details that is very beautifully and powerfully an opportunity to become a testimony, to become a witness to what it is that the Lord is doing, where we can become uh, like a witness to others. Like I, I share this story. It's kind of embarrassing, to be honest, but I share it with you at just kind of being transparent, just because I know that, um, you know, how many of us, like, well, how many of us don't? How many of us have our own, like, I don't know, those, those places in our, our lives that are troubling, that are emotionally troubling and, and, and trigger us or traumatized us and, and leave us in a state where we just, we get overwhelmed about something. And, and objectively speaking, objectively speaking, it's like, it's not that big a deal. Like, why worry, right? This was the, this was the, the message from last Thursday I shared with you. Why worry, right? What, what, what can worrying do to add a moment to your life? It doesn't, right? It, it kind of it robs us of vitality, of a sense of freshness, a sense of uh, vibrancy. If we become overly burdened or saddened or anxious or worried about things where the, Jesus is, is wanting us to know that the Father is taking care of us. And, and, and here's the other part. The other part is this. You know, thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus, that this, like, misfortune, let's call it this misfortune that I had to be on this plane that hit a wind shear and caused this, like, down, downward spiral impact in my life. Thank you, Lord, for how you have used this to actually bring me close to you. Thank you, Lord, for the way that this, like, traumatic, but it was safe happening in my life, has brought me face to face with the fact that I am not ultimately in control, that I am not ultimately independent, that I am, in fact, a creature of God, and that, in fact, there are so many realities in my life where the battle is not mine, but it's God's. The battle is not mine. The battle is God's. And isn't that an important message? It's like, how, how critical and crucial is that for us to know in our life of faith? When we can just bang our heads fighting battles, thinking that if we, again, can only find that, like, secret thing to do that special like technique there has to be a there has to be some way that we can kind of figure that thing out on our own when the lord is like no no i i am the way i am the way come to me let me be the way for you i'll show you the way right i think isn't that a gift 
Who doesn't need to know that? I need to know that. I think a lot of guys need to know that um, because there are things in our lives where the best way that I'm going to provide protection for my family is to turn to the Lord, who's the protector of all. The way that I'm going to provide for my family is to go to the one who is provident over all. The way that I'm going to lead my family is to be completely a follower of Jesus, the true shepherd of our souls, the true leader who will make sure we are not led astray. So what a gift, right? So sometimes it's true that misfortune brings greater goods into our lives than fortune. I'll say it again. Sometimes it's true that it's through misfortune. Those things that we don't appreciate, those things that seemingly strike us down, that seem to break us, that actually open us to God in ways that things continued simply and fortunate at a human level, fortunate ways, that might in fact lead us to a, a, a false sense of independence, a false sense of somehow uh, I don't need God, that I, I got this. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for maybe maybe we won't get to that place where we're saying thank you, God, for the misfortune. But thank you, Lord, for the ways that you've used the misfortune. Because that has brought me closer to you. That has brought me in union with you. All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I am um, recording this program on the Feast of the Birthday of Mary, the Nativity of the Blessed Mother. And yes, you know this, September the 8th. Why do we celebrate that? Because it is nine months after December the 8th. Yes, that's right. December the 8th is what? It's the solemnity, that holy day of the Immaculate Conception. And remember, the Immaculate Conception is not the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Blessed Mother. That is the feast of the Annunciation or the the celebration of the Incarnation, which happens on March 25th. But nine months at the Immaculate Conception on December the 8th is the conception of the Blessed Mother without the stain of original sin in the womb of St. Anne, the mother of Mary. Nine months later, the church celebrates her feast, the feast of her birth. And so also nine months after March the 25th, we have the celebration of Christmas on December the 25th. So, um, so that's what we celebrate today. And uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, I, I'm excited to, to be sharing with you. I want to share with you some stories, again, of little miracles. Like, you're made for miracles and be the recipient of miracles. But I want to do so in the light of family, because today is the 59th anniversary of the wedding of my mom and dad. Now, again, my mom died about three and a half years ago. I'm here visiting my dad. His health is not that good. And so I would appreciate a prayer for him. Um, he hasn't, uh, he's a little bit lethargic today, a little bit uh, uh, under the weather in terms of energy and all that. So it's been nice to visit with him. But unfortunately, we were unable to go to church together or unable to visit the cemetery 
um, where we were going to pray as a family at, um, at her graveside. So um, say a prayer. Our hope is that we'll do that tomorrow or Friday, depending on um, how his energy is and um, you know how much he recovers. He, he kind of overdid it a little bit. Can you imagine that? Uh, our, uh, the elderly parents and grandparents that we have that sometimes overdo it and then they get wiped out. <laughs> That's my dad. Uh, he was always a builder, always an active guy, very active mind. And, um, and when his body isn't uh, cooperating, sometimes it's easy to make the mind run ahead of the body, right? And then the body pays for it. Well, everybody pays for it. Okay. So, uh, but uh, when I think about the places where we'd want to see miracles happen, where we want to see um, good things happen, where you were made for miracles and to be a recipient of miracles, it's in our kids' lives. And so I, I want to share with you a story uh, a couple of stories. The first is about my daughter, Mary Grace. Um, my old, She's 21. She'll be 22 uh, at the end of the month. And she called me with a question on Saturday morning. Um, and it had to do with fasting. And first of all, I love the question. She was going to a breakfast with um, a youth ministry team. And um, she wanted to know what she should do because she had committed to fasting um, for um, nine days. She was like doing a novena and she was fasting over these nine days, pretty much eating almost nothing. Um, so I talked to her about that. <laughs> but she was doing a pretty rigorous fast. Um, and the fast was leading up to the, the feast of Mary's birthday. So she was honoring the Blessed Mother and um, asking for her intercession, the Blessed Mother's intercession, for some um, personal requests, so some, some intentions. So intentions is when you ask the Lord, uh, or you're asking a saint to intercede for you for personal requests, but also interceding for others. She said some other situations um, that she was praying for and fasting for. Well, she had me at fasting. So I, I, all I can say is I just, I, I was sort of stunned in the silence a little bit that um, my goodness, what an answer to prayer. What a beautiful, beautiful, sweet answer to prayer that the Lord was showing me as a, like a growth in the life of faith of my daughter, Mary Grace. Now she's, again, she's lived a, like quite a, a missionary life for the last two and a half years now, going on three years. Um, and to see it continue to bloom and blossom in a way that has really focused on that relationship with Jesus that I've been talking to you about, like the reality of God is so prominent and dominant in her life that she just longs to love the Lord and honor him. I love that. But I have seen a recovery and a deepening, not a recovery, a deepening, of her Catholic way of living her relationship with Jesus, guess what? Through some misfortunes. Isn't that interesting? Just talked about this, like hitting the windshield on the plane and how that has led to like a misfortune in my life, but that also has driven me to my knees and kept me so close to God whenever I fly. And that, boy, that's not a bad spiritual attitude to have developed. Well, um, you know, my daughter was experiencing some, like, 
challenges personally, uh, relationally more. And she turned to the Blessed Mother, she turned to St. Joseph, and turned to some novenas. And just it was very beautiful to me that she had leaned in on her Catholic faith as a means of seeking the Lord, seeking a, an answer to uh, her suffering, her real personal suffering. And so now downstream of that, by a month or two, to see her continuing on with a, um, a use of fasting and um, uh, the calling upon the Blessed Mother and, and even the concept of a novena as a means of like striving to uh, achieve spiritual goals. That's just, for me, just so beautiful. It's so what warm. It warms my heart, right? Um, well, here was a question. This is the interesting. So that, that, that's a miracle right there. That for me is, you know, we were made for miracles and to be a recipient of miracles. Well, we want that for our kids, right? That, that, those would be, if you say, we want our kids to be the recipient of miracles, of supernatural interventions where God becomes God in their lives, where they come to experience the ineffability, the glory, and the almighty power of God, where they come to know that Jesus is their true treasure, that they seek a treasure in heaven, and that they seek first the kingdom of God. These are the themes that I've been laying out for you. And so to help my kids on that path to see some fruits, some signs of, of fruit being born, Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Well, here's a question. It's like, Dad, I'm going to this youth group thing, and it's a, it's a brunch. And so we're all going to be eating, but I'm fasting. What do I do? Do I fast? Do I, do I fast or do I eat? Now, if I eat, I, I'm not like following the commitment I made, but I'll be drawing attention to the fact that I'm not eating. And... Um, um, and so I, I don't want that. I don't want people to look at me and say, well, you know, are you holier than thou? And, and, you know, Jesus said, don't make a big deal of your fasting like the Pharisees do, but, you know, go to your father in secret. So shouldn't I just eat? And so, you know, haven't we all wrestled with that question? Sincerely, right? If, if you've done any kind of fasting or any kind of like fasting over the course of some days, it, there's a certain point where it'll easily become visible if you're in a crowd or in a group or doing some kind of activity. And so I, I gave her a few thoughts and these are the thoughts I gave her and I give them to you in case they, you know, are relevant, if they make any sense to you. So the first thing was, I said, um, you know, you can put on your plate food that you can um, put back afterwards, right? So food that won't go to waste, like if you take like a, like a full strawberry, for instance, you could just put the strawberry back, especially, you know, if you're not eating, if you're not eating food, you could do something like that. I said, the second thing is, uh, and this was sort of the more fundamental one. I said, fasting in, in the Catholics mindset is typically not eating nothing. Typically it's not eating nothing. It's eating what is sufficient rather than what satisfies eating what is sufficient. So what that means is, is that we need a certain amount of nutrients. We need a certain amount of vitamins. We need a certain amount of food intake in order to be able to take on the, the duties and the burdens of the day. And so the church typically has identified that as having one full meal and two partial meals. Now, I think you guys know that. So if 
Yeah, I said, they said to Mary Grace, I said, Mary Grace, what you can do is this, is that, you know, you may feel a call to be more rigorous than doing that. And that's fine. As long as you, you know, you discern it well, and you, you be careful that you don't overdo, you know, the fasting, so you're not taking in food. But um, I said, you can choose to have food that is going to bring you nourishment, that maybe isn't very satisfying. So, you know, you can go to the breakfast, but don't choose to eat the foods that you prefer, right? You don't have to have the pancakes and uh, waffles or, uh, you know, the chocolate chip muffins or whatever. But you know what? Maybe you have um, this, you know, the spinach quiche. <laughs> and, you know, you have, you just, you take a small amount of it and then you take a couple of pieces of fruit that um, maybe are the, the least pleasant choice. And then you just have that, you just leave it on your, on your plate. And people won't, people are less likely to notice something like that. So it's a way of honoring the fasting, not drawing attention to yourself and um, allowing you to, um, to be able to, uh, you know, avoid, you kind of avoid both falling off either side of the, um, of that equation. So, so there you go. Maybe that uh, will be helpful to some of you. If you are wondering, how do I fast? How do I maintain my fast when I'm in a situation where I'm, it's going to be difficult to live out the fast that I'm called to have when I am uh, going to be in a public setting. Okay, so there's my first story, Recipients of Miracles. Uh, the second is uh, something that I saw uh, or I heard about. Um, my, Carrie took the kids to um, Mazama over the weekend, and I stayed behind and, and was working on this real estate license. And I'm just about done, yay, with the course, the whole course. I Just a tiny, tiny little bit left, literally less than 1% of my course is left. Praise be to God. Thank you. Just say a prayer for that because I'll be able to take the test hopefully quite soon in the next in a week or two uh, and complete that course and get a real estate license. Yay. Um, but um, uh, while um, my family was away, um, they went to mass. And there were a couple of interesting things that happened. The first was that um, my son, John Mark, um, has uh, become accustomed to um, it has a, has a, a real sense of like um, blossoming devotion in faith to the Lord. He's probably my most devout uh, of my kids and he's 15. And one of the areas that he has um, uh, fostered in his own like sense of reverencing the Lord is in how he attends mass. He tends to dress better than we do. He tends to have a greater sense of wanting to make sure that we get there early. He definitely has a strong sense of wanting to be in the right spirit. Um, so going to confession quite regularly um, or not going to communion. And then um, in terms of uh, after, after mass staying and praying um, longer um, than the rest of us and not being in a hurry, uh, his openness to go to adoration um, well, what happened was, and, and part of that, part of that, um, like blossoming of faith has, has led him to want to receive communion on the tongue. 
And so we're typically at parishes that will allow that um, where we live. And while he was in Mazama and he wasn't sure and he didn't want to be caught off guard. And so he ended up going um, before mass to the, um, up to the priest and uh, just asked him, you know, can I receive communion on the tongue? And uh, the protocol where they were was that, no, that wasn't going to be allowed. And, um, and so what ended up happening was, um, uh, you know, Terry noticed that when it came time for communion, he chose not to go to communion. And after mass, she asked him what happened, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that he was like saying, I'm prophetically expressing my indignation about this protocol. No, that wasn't it. Instead, it was, you know, mom, during mass, my mind kept going back to the fact that I was bothered by that. And I ended up feeling like I had this negative spirit in me that wasn't appropriate for me to then go to communion. And I'm, and I heard that story and I just like kind of welled up a bit. I'm like, who is this kid? (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a beautiful spirit. What a beautiful spirit of faith that had that sense of, I want to be in the right, want to have the right heart, the right spirit, the right disposition if I'm going to receive communion, that it's not simply a, a casual act, that it's not simply something that you just take for granted, that you go to Mass and you go to communion. No, that you want to have the proper disposition, you want to be in the right spirit. And, and if he wasn't there, instead, he stayed behind. Yes, and, and he did an act of spiritual communion. And, I, you know, I, I can imagine that the Lord is like lavishing graces and blessings upon that young man out of his sense of like sincere devotion and desire to, to be pleasing to the Lord when he would present himself for Holy Communion. For me, I, I consider that like miraculous, really, um, like a supernatural intervention in, in the heart of that young man that God is going to use that misfortune to bring about something that is beautifully fortunate. And so, I, you know what, I, th- this idea that um, the blessings of God simply come in, in the experience of something fortunate um, is not only um, it, it's so limiting, it, it, it misses out on the fact that we who um, follow the Lord Jesus are following a crucified Jesus. And that means picking up a cross. That means being in the garden. That means accompanying him through the stages of his passion. And those are things that that involves suffering, dying to self, being stripped of, you know, all human comfort, all human, you know, respect, the way that they attempted to um, uh, to crush his dignity. And yet Jesus, Jesus took all of that on himself precisely to set us free. And I just, I found that to be very beautiful, that um, the Lord invites us into that same path. All right, I'm up against another break. 
when we come back, um, a couple other quick stories and continuing on with uh, today's theme. Back in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. And um, I'm sharing with you some stories just around this whole reality of um, being a recipient of miracles, that God actually not only wants you to be a recipient of miracles, but longs to use you to help bring miracles into the lives of others. This is something that I want to finish today's program with, is just to encourage you to realize that through your prayers for your children, through your intercession, through your fasting, through your good works, through your acts of self-denial, God, God, God takes those things up into the redemptive work of Christ and says, I will make your life fruitful for my glory, not only by the way that I make of your life a sign and a wonder, a deed of power, not only in your life, by the ways that I bring about healing, by the ways that I bring about um, a, a sense of demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like, as beautiful as that is, and as exciting as that is, and as something that we ought to discover, we ought to embrace, we ought to believe in, and, um, and, and come to realize that oh, God is amazing. Look at all the goodness and the greatness that God pours into our lives, but all the goodness and greatness that God wants to pour through your life. God wants to make your life fruitful for his kingdom. That God not only comes to us, God not only comes to live within us, but God wants to work through us. And even in miraculous ways. I've shared stories in this past week and a half about miracles that I have received. How I've been a recipient of God's shocking generosity. How I've been a recipient of God's miraculous um, healing. But I also want you to hear that the Lord has showered forth his gifts. Even his gifts of healing. Gifts of signs and wonders that he works through his body, the church, through his disciples. This, again, is one of those areas that maybe is harder for us to embrace, to believe, or to accept, because we often think that, oh, St. Anthony was the wonder worker, or um, this St. Padre Pio was a great wonder worker, you know, through which miracles came. Not little old me, not you. I mean, you know, isn't that just held in reserve for the rarest of the rare, the greatest of the saints? Or, you know, and even they often are associated with one miracle and that one of those miracles, you know, one miracle on earth and maybe one or two miracles from heaven. No, 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 no. This is where we, we can acknowledge that that's true. Those things are true without negating the fact that the gifts that the Lord lavishes upon his body, the church, are operating beyond the lives of those who have been canonized saints. And so in the Second Vatican Council, there was a, um, a debate around this theme. And it showed up in the dogmatic constitution on the church, Lumen Gentium. 
And the question was, are the charismatic gifts, are these gifts that are uh, listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, these gifts that are, are not, not the sevenfold gifts, right? Not wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, et cetera, et cetera. Not the sevenfold gifts that come in baptism and confirmation, but these other gifts, these charismatic gifts, gifts like expectant faith that God moves in wondrous ways, uh, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of speaking in tongues. Are these charismatic gifts still operating today? And if so, are they to be expected to be sought? Are we to be open to receive them and to use them um, among the laity, among the lay faithful? And the answer that shows up in the text was that, yes, the charismatic gifts work in it as a complement, in, in a complementary way to the hierarchical gifts, the institutional gifts, the way that the Lord works in the sacraments and through the institution of the church. The Lord is also at work through his spirit in anointing and in distributing graces through which the body of Christ becomes a place of manifestation and demonstration of Jesus' kingdom coming. So, this is not my radical theory. This is something that the church has taught. In certain seasons in the life of the church, it maybe was not so emphasized or it wasn't so vibrant and alive, and it, it came to be maybe diminished down to, the, uh, to those who were canonized saints as, uh, and, and signs of extraordinary sanctity. But there's a recovering over the last 60 years 50 years of this reality that, in fact, the church does operate today with this expectation, this openness for the Lord to move in miraculous ways through the lay faithful, through, through the, the whole body of the church. And I have been blessed with so many opportunities to see that happen. So many people. So uh, through the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, that has been a movement that the Lord used to um, have this grace of openness to the spirit to work in these ways. Um, uh, I've seen it and, and witnessed it um, for, let's see now, 37, 38 years, um, going to Catholic charismatic prayer meetings, conferences and events around the country, um, and, and seeing different uh, expressions of the charismatic renewal around the world um, to see, in fact, the Lord moving in miraculous ways and to see the way that that can even show up in beautiful harmony with the institutional church, the sacramental life of the church. So, for instance, when I left the seminary, I started to work for a parish called St. Marie's in Manchester, New Hampshire. And um, one of the things that we did at St. Marie's was to, to pray about and implement ways of allowing the church to beautifully um, celebrate the sacred liturgy, but also to have it be a place where the body of Christ could be ministering in these charismatic ways. And so, for instance, one of the things that we did after Mass 
as we had trained prayer teams who would pray with people who had needs. So we would have two different prayer rooms and we had people that were mature Catholic men and women who were trained in how do you pray with someone for their place of need? Like, okay, what what can we pray for you for? Well, I've got this um, physical situation or I've got this relational situation or I've got a spiritual situation. And these people are trained well enough to know, okay, no, wait a minute. This isn't confession and this isn't uh, psychological counseling. This is a place for us to pray with expectant faith to minister to you at your point of need. And this is something that I, I prayed in those rooms um, for a couple of years um, once we got it started. And um, I, you know what? Stories and miracles happening. You Really powerful interventions of the Lord that set people free. And I've shared with you before in Sound Insight um, a number of situations where um, we have prayed with people that, experienced healing from even cancer. Um, and, you know, and again, in shocking ways that this wasn't ex- explainable by, oh, we prayed and then they continued their treatment and uh, they got better. No, we're talking about like one day it's showing this tumor the size of a lemon, the next day it's all gone uh, and stumped. Uh, the doctors were stumped because they had prepared to do, um, uh, you know, a biopsy to to understand what they were working with, and gone, and gone forever. And so you hear stories like that, and it's like God moves in miraculous ways. God moves in really beautiful, powerful ways. So I'm running out of time today, but. My hope and prayer is that as you hear this theme, it's something that you might be open to. Did you hear that? Be open to this idea that, in fact, the Lord might, in fact, use you in miraculous ways. I'll have to end it there today on Sound Insight. More tomorrow. God bless your day.